0: the following audio is from fellowship church in Nederland, texas our mission to love god love others and make disciples for more information about fellowship visit fellowshiptx.org well thanksgiving is over i don't know about you but i ate way too much food um i ate an embarrassing unhealthy amount of rice dressing and rolls Uh, in fact that's pretty much what i've eaten for every meal since thanksgiving uh (laughs) Now that Thanksgiving is over, we turn our attention towards Christmas, right? And uh, I told you last week that Thanksgiving was my favorite holiday. Uh, My second favorite would be Christmas. I love the music, I love the lights, I love the smells, the the cinnamon Christmas spice type smell, I love all that. Most of all, I love what Christmas celebrates, right? That's um, something that is obviously important to us as believers, the idea that God uh, is with us. Right? The fact that, as Paul says in Philippians 2, Jesus, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God uh, as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had uh, come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. That's some good news right there. Right, That's, that's what we gather each week to celebrate, is the fact that Christ gave himself for us, that's the gospel, right? He came in the form of man. God Himself humbled Himself and came down to this earth in the form of a man and gave His life for us. I love Christmas, and today actually begins the season of Advent. Now, I'm I'm, I'm curious: how many of you guys have ever heard of Advent? How many of you guys actually know what Advent is? All right, a few, a fewer hands. All right, so Advent uh, is is a season. Um, that really is just a season of expecting, okay? Uh, It starts the Sunday after Thanksgiving. It runs through Christmas Eve, and it just means coming. The word Advent translated literally just means coming, all right? Our, uh, Becca's family, her her mom and her brother are in town uh, this week. They come and they stay at our house, and our kids absolutely love that because when they come in, that means that they're spoiled rotten. My brother-in-law took all the kids yesterday to the store and he has something that he calls, they call him Bubby, and he's got something he calls Bubby Bucks, and he spends ridiculous amounts of money on them every time he comes in town, and so they've learned they'll pull the money a little bit and save up, and so sometimes he comes in, he doesn't spend anything, and then sometimes he comes in, and they'll cash in, it's like 150 bucks, and, uh, and so this was one of the times that they all went to the store Friday, or uh, Saturday, they skipped Good Friday, went Saturday, and, and spent all, t- all kinds of money, well, as this uh, this event is coming up, right, the, the, the in-laws coming in to town, uh, my kids go nuts. And Davis especially because he's so excited that they're coming in, right? And so all day, they came in Wednesday uh, evening. And so all day Wednesday, and really it started Tuesday, uh, Davis is just blowing us up like, what, what what time are they coming in? What, what what time is it right now? What time are they are they are they on their way yet? What what time are they going to be here? And there's just this like intense anticipation that his grandmother and his uncle are coming in town, and he is just super super excited about it. And as it got closer, he even started like pacing back and forth in the living room, and like couldn't sit down. Is the, the nervous excitement was just building up. Uh, he started looking out the window at the blinds, watching. Right? Are they are they here yet? And he asked every five seconds, "What time it was." Um, and his excitement for a reunion with a family member or family after so long of not seeing them was pretty intense. It was, it was, it was a little bit, uh, to be honest with you, annoying as the parent having to hear that over and over again, right? Uh, finally, I was like, there is a clock on the microwave. There is a clock on the stove. If you ask me one more time, I'm going to shove a clock down your throat. You better. <laughs> but this is what Advent is, all right? Advent is us anticipating the coming of Christ. That's all it is. It's, it's us taking time out of the year to focus on this anticipation that we have of the coming of Christ. It's acknowledging that something is incomplete here and, how, uh, and, uh, and earnestly waiting with a sincere hope for the future coming of the one who will make it all right again. Right, we, we recognize, I said that a while ago, we recognize that there's something amiss in this world. Right, That there's something flawed in this world. And as believers, we have this hope within us that, that there's going to be a day when all of that is made right again. And that feeling of, of emptiness and the feeling of, of, of the devastating effects of sin that we see in our culture, all of that just fades away at the coming of Christ. This idea of waiting isn't anything new. We see the same idea of earnestly waiting in regards to Jesus' first coming. We see that over and over again in Scripture. But one example of this is found in Luke 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 25, uh, we see accounts of two people who had this earnest expectation of the coming Christ. In verse 25 it says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple, and when the parents, talking about Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took, uh, took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that he will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul that, he, uh, that the thoughts of many hearts may be reveal, revealed. So there's this Simeon guy and he's devoted his life to the coming of this Messiah, right? Simeon feels that you can read in some of the things that he says, he feels this, this brokenness in the world and he's longing He's longing for things to be made right again, and he believes and he's put his hope in this coming Messiah. And can you imagine, you've devoted your life to this. The Holy Spirit's revealed to you, you're not going to die until the Messiah comes and you'll get to see it. Can you imagine the moment that he lays his eyes on that child? Imagine just the the, the release and and joy that would would have been there. But that's not the only person we see there in that passage in Luke, it goes on, it says, There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. 84 years she had been a widow. More than likely she was married at 13. You do the math. This lady was well well along in years. It says, She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. So all these years, Anna would go to the temple and pray and fast with this expectation of this coming Messiah that would make all things right. It says, at that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about Him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So here's an example of two people who gave their lives to watching and waiting for the coming Christ. Why though? Why would anybody devote their entire life to that? Why would anybody devote their lives to something like that, this long expectation? The reason is this, because they recognized the problem and trusted in God's plan for the solution. These two people recognized that the world was not right Right, That there's sin and brokenness in this world. They recognized that and they had placed their hope in God's plan for restoration. They sensed the world was broken and the only hope they had was for a coming Messiah. Simeon calls Jesus God's plan for salvation and Anna, Anna said He's the redemption for Israel. They sensed that the world was not right there was a big problem, right? The world needed salvation. Israel needed re- redemption. And this coming Messiah was the only solution. So they were filled with a hope and an expectation as they awaited for His coming. And So today, we're going to start a new series for the next three weeks as we lead into Christmas on this idea of expectation, on this idea of, of focusing ourselves, focusing our hearts and minds on the coming of Christ, right? The second coming of Christ, right? We recognize even though Christ has come and He's freed believers from sin, there's still the effects of sin are still present in this world today, right? We see it, we feel it, we know it. And yet, one day there's a Christ that's going to come for the second time and He's going to fix it all, right? Paul writes about this problem and our expectation in our text today as well. Our text today. Is going to be Romans chapter 8, verse 18. If you have a Bible, you can turn there, Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Paul writes For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. So just two points today. If you're taking notes, here's your two points. You can go ahead and write them down, and then hopefully pay attention for the rest of the time. All right. Point number one is this, the problem is sin. The problem is sin. Point number two is this, our longing is for glory. Alright, so point number one, the problem is sin. Look at verse 18. He says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. A few years ago, we were living in a, in a church parsonage and uh, we were, I was in the bathroom one day and, and happened to look up at a piece of trim in uh, in the bathroom and I was like, that don't look quite right. like it had these like kind of wavy lines it was painted, but I could kind of see there was something off, so I just kind of poked it my finger went straight through it into the wall behind it and I was like, well, that's not right right that's that's not, that's not supposed to do that So I pulled it back, I realized that that whole trim piece it was like you know the wall paneling and then trim the sheetrock above that. That whole trim piece was rotten, so I kind of peeled it off, and I could see in this crack between the sheetrock and the paneling below it that there was a ton of termites in there. Right, that's a bad day, right? I don't know if you've ever had that happen, but as soon as you open it up, it's like this this distress just comes all over you, right? And I, we had no idea. We we had been uh, living in the house for a while. We we used the bathroom, we showered. I mean, we we didn't notice anything. Wrong with it until we just happened to see like this there's just one little piece that's off it didn't look right, and as soon as we peeled back the layers and started digging, we see that this this the, these termites have just infested all through the bathroom right? They'd come up through the drain and in the, in the slab and they ate all the stuff behind uh, the shower wall uh, and, and, and we had to tear out the whole shower, the tub uh, all the way around to the toilet. I mean just tons of sheetrock had to come out, and we had to replace a ton of studs. It was a huge mess, right? And there was all this rot and decay. As we started peeling back layers, we started seeing just how bad it really was. We finished up last week with verse 18. Paul says that the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed. In other words, as bad as it gets here, and now on this earth, it, it doesn't even compare to how amazing it's going to be, right? That's kind of what we wrapped up with last week. So, we can endure this brief time of pain and suffering with a hope for what's to come. So Paul starts off acknowledging that there's a problem, right? The very first thing we can see here is that there's obviously a problem, and we, we don't focus ourselves so much on the problem. We focus ourselves on the hope that's to come. But he acknowledges, hey, there's a problem, right? There are present sufferings in this world. There is a problem. And as we peel back the layers, we can see it, right? But as we peel back the layers, we can see all of the decay and rot that's in our culture. We see all the decay and rot that's in, in the world that we live in. We see the sin in this world. This world isn't the way it should be. It's not the way God created it to be. There, there's pain, there's suffering, there's sickness, there's depression, there's sadness, there's death. And none of those things were a part of God's original z- design, right? God, He, he created the, the world and as He created it, He paused each day and what does He say? He says, hey, this is good. Right? Every day He created, He took a moment to pause and acknowledge the goodness of His creation. Before sin entered the picture, Eden was without death or decay, but as we know, the wages of sin is death. Sin brought destruction. It brought chaos to God's created creation. Paul says that creation eagerly awaits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. One day, we'll all stand before God and be judged and on that day the only thing that will matter is your identity in Christ. It's not going to matter how good you tried to be or how much you tried to go to church. The only thing that will matter is either you're a child of God or as scripture calls us or calls unbelievers a child of wrath, meaning either you've surrendered yourself in faith to Jesus Christ or you chose to live according to your own wisdom and understanding rejecting the gospel and living for self. And look, there's no in between. There is no in between. It's either you're one or the other. Right? And and, and I get like the, the 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 title child of wrath, that doesn't sound too enticing, right? That doesn't sound like a nice thing to say about somebody, right? That sounds kind of harsh. But the reality is, if you're a child of wrath, you've you've chosen that for yourself, right? You've rejected the gospel, you've rejected Christ and in your own rebellion, you've entered into that title yourself. There is no in between. Jesus talked about this in regards to possessions. Matthew 6, 24, he says, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't you can't have two masters. You can't have two masters. You can't serve yourself and claim to be a Christian at the same time. It doesn't work that way. If your life is all about self, if you haven't surrendered in faith to Jesus, then by your own choice, you are a child of wrath. And one day, Paul says that identity will be revealed. You can fake it until you make it now. You may have everybody in your life fooled, but God sees your heart. He sees the true nature of your heart. And one day that true nature will be revealed. That's what Paul's saying. He says that the creation is eagerly awaiting that day. The creation is eagerly awaiting that day. Why? Because on that day, everything will be restored back to the way it was meant to be. Look at Revelation 21, verse 3. He says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. Can we just take a moment and reflect on how crazy that is? God's dwelling is with humanity. That's that's an unbelievable reality that God chooses to dwell with us in our sin and in our rebellion. God's dwelling is with humanity and He will live with them. They will be His peoples. And God Himself will will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one who's seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. And God's doing something new. He's working, he's working everything out and everything at the end is going to be made new. And these words... You can take them to the bank because they're faithful and true. This is what Paul's talking about in our text. One day everything will be made new. No more tears, no more death, no more grief, no more pain. And until that day, Paul says, the creation is subject to futility and in the bondage to decay. There's an obvious problem. Right? You, I mean, just open your eyes. There's an obvious problem. We can see it. Things die. Creation withers. Man is prone to wander. Right? We see this. Sin has brought death and destruction. Paul talks about this in regards to mankind in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 verse 1, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which which you previously walked, according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. Paul tells the, the Ephesians here, you were dead in your sins. You were dead in your sins. Let that sink in for a second. Apart from Christ, your natural spiritual state, it, it was death. This is what sin does. It destroys. This is the problem. Sin destroys marriages. It destroys churches. It destroys friendships. It destroys children. It destroys careers and hopes and futures. The wages of sin is death. And we can sense it. We can feel that the earth is plagued by it. Sin is the problem. Paul says you once walked in it according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air. In other words, if you're a Christian, you once walked in the ways of Satan himself in rebellion to God. This wasn't just a momentary lapse of judgment. This was part of your character. It was part of who... You were. It was part of your identity. Apart from Jesus, you lived carrying out the inclinations of your flesh and desires, and you lived to gratify the flesh with no real concern for self-control and with no real concern for the things of God. Paul says your very nature was a child of wrath. If you're a Christian, this was true about you before you came to Christ. If you're not a Christian, this is true about you right now. Paul's point here is that sin and rebellion... Is the problem. Sin and rebellion is the problem. It's what plagued us from the beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden. It's what plagued the nation of Israel as they wandered from the will of God and leaned into their own understanding, choosing not to acknowledge God. Because of that, they faced judgment. The Promise sin. Listen, the problem with your marriage is sin. The problem with your job is sin. The problem with your kids is sin. The problem with, your, with, with, with our government is sin. The problem with our society is sin. The problem with this world is sin. It's your problem. It's my problem. It's the universal problem. It's, it's all of our problem. That's, that's what we face. right? We, we, we think that there are so many things out there that, 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 that's our enemy and that we should wage war against. But listen to me this morning. Your, your enemy is your own sin. And that's what we should wage war against. It's the problem and, and still so many people don't even recognize it as the problem. John 3.19, this is the judgment. The light has, become, it has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Sin is the problem and yet people love to sin. That's predicament, right? Sin is the problem. It's what brings death and destruction into this world. It's it's, it's what causes so much grief. And yet we love it. We love to sin. It's it's part of our nature. We were born into it. Listen to what King David says in Psalm 51.5. He says, indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. We love to sin because it's part of our nature. It's part of our identity. And apart from Christ, we can't see it for what it is. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.14, he says, but the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it's foolishness to him. He's not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. Paul says the unbeliever can't see truth. They can't see what the Spirit has revealed because it's all nonsense. It makes no sense to them. They can't, they can't see it. For the unbeliever pursuing selfish desires is the way that they live their life further bringing death and destruction into the world. It's this endless, vicious cycle. Look what God says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 5.20. He says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Sin is the problem, but unfortunately, the sinner doesn't even see the death and destruction their sin brings. They call evil good. They call good evil. And everything gets twisted in their own minds. Recognizing sin as the problem and longing for freedom from that problem is key. Which leads us to the next point. Our longing is for glory. Look at verse 22. It says, For we know the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. You know when you get sick, like, I don't know about you, but I can usually tell like something's coming on, right? You start to get sick, you start getting like that burning sensation in my nose, like a sinus infection's coming, I start to kind of feel junky, I start maybe sneezing or... You know, you, there's like this like progressive way that it works, right? Like you can feel there's something not right, right? And and, and it, it, when you have that, like a cold or something, it feels like it just lingers forever, right? Like you can't get rid of it. becca has been dealing with a, a, a sinus cold thing for like a couple months now. Julian too, he's like been like two or three weeks been dealing with some kind of sinus junk. It's It just lingers on and on and on. And when you're sick like that, all you long for is for that junk to go away, right? Like you're like, man, I just can't wait till I'm done with this junk. I wish it would just leave me, and I'm longing for the day when I can just breathe normal again, and I don't even like, realize that I'm sick anymore, right? We, we, we get that. Paul says the whole creation has been groaning. In other words, it's been longing for freedom from the curse of sin. Right. Sin is the problem, and creation has been groaning since the beginning of sin. Right, Since Adam and Eve fell in the garden, creation has been groaning for a day when they will be freed from the curse of sin. And he says, those who have the Spirit, we also groan within ourselves. Right? He says, a product of the Spirit's presence is a longing for what's to come. Right, If, you, if the Holy Spirit dwells within you, then there should be something inside of you that, that longs for a day when you'll be freed Completely from your flesh. During the day of Thanksgiving, like Becca's family, they, they they cook really well, like good good food, and 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 they start in the morning, and it's usually about three or four o'clock before they finally finish cooking, and so, like all day, I'm nibbling, right? I'm sneaking in there, grabbing a little piece of, of of a roll, just get a little taste, right? Or sneaking there, grab a little piece of turkey, just get a little taste, right? And and and, and each little taste that you get, right? We we made brownies for uh, Davis. Kept begging me for to make brownies, so I made brownies. And what did they do? They were like getting a little taste of the little, you know, the thing that you used to stir it all up with. They're like licking those things. And Davis was like, "Give me that bowl." So he gets the bowl, and, he's like, ah, I don't know, and he has like all over his face, right? Those little tastes are the first fruits of what's to come at that Thanksgiving banquet, right? Like that little taste of that turkey, it's, it's, it's like, man, I'm so ready for this thing to be done so we can actually eat and feast on this so I can hurt myself, right? Like you, you, you long for that moment. Just that little taste is that first fruit of what's to come. And that's the point that Paul is making is the Holy Spirit in you is a first fruit of what's to come in eternity, right? The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you and that's a first fruit of what's to come. And, and, and if the, the Spirit dwells within you, you'll long for more. Right, You're going to long for more freedom from sin, more righteousness, more intimacy with God. Look at what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 26. He says, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Jesus knew that we needed help to walk in righteousness. He knew that we weren't capable in our own strength. And the same Spirit that teaches us and reminds us of Christ's words also screams within our soul that, hey, this world is not right and you need a relationship with Christ, you need to live your life for eternity, that there's this coming day when you'll be freed from all of the the problems that sin brings. Paul says, we also groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Even though the Spirit of God dwells within the heart of every believer, there's still this flesh that draws us towards our selfish desires. You're bound to recognize that. right? If the Spirit lives within you, the Spirit guides and He directs you, but it makes you even more aware of that flesh that's in there that draws you towards those selfish pursuits. Right? The more that the Spirit grows within you, the more acutely aware you are of your own sinful condition. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, rather than reveling in that sin, you sense it, you hate it, and you long with eager expectation and anticipation for it to all go away. Well. Right? If, if you're a Christian, you're marked by your hatred for sin. Yes, you give into the flesh. Yes, there's that flesh that draws you towards your own simple desires man, you hate when it when that happens. You hate when you give in to that flesh. The major problem of our day is we have an abundance of people calling themselves Christians They don't sense it and they don't hate it. They aren't anticipating redemption of their bodies. Why? Because they love it. They revel in it. They want to try and serve both masters. They want spirituality. They want eternal security, right? Everybody wants that, right? (laughs) There's an old song, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die, right? Everybody wants eternal security, right? Everybody wants that. Everybody wants heaven. Everybody wants, when they die, to go to a better place. Everybody wants that. The problem is everybody, while they want that, while they want spirituality, while they want eternal security, they still want sin. They still love sin. Right? They still love the problem. They still love their sexual sin. They still love to serve their addictions. They still love their pride. They want to claim to love Jesus while reveling in the things that He despises. This is what Paul warns the Galatians with in Galatians 6 verse, 6, verse 7. He says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, He will also reap. Because the one who sows to the flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Paul says God's not mocked. God is not mocked. In other words, you might have your church fooled. You might have your family fooled. You might even have yourself fooled. God sees in your heart. You're not fooling anybody. God sees in your heart and He knows. He knows exactly who you are. And He knows exactly what you've done with the gospel. Whether it was just a means to an end, like, man, my life is all messed up and church is a good thing. If I go to church, it will fix everything. That's not the gospel. That's not, God, that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, the Bible teaches that if you come to Christ, your life is going to get way more complicated. The gospel is not a means to an end. The truth of the gospel says that your problem is sin, and Jesus came to free you from that sin. Not so that you can continue to revel in it and continue to live in it and walk in it, or for you to. Your eyes to be open to see sin for what it is, that, that it is death and destruction. And while you still have this flesh that draws you towards the things of your flesh, your selfish desires, and, and, and towards things of this world, the spirit lives within you now. It has opened your eyes to realize that that stuff is not what you want for your life. Whatever you sow, that's what you'll reap. If you're not bothered by sin, if you're allured by the things of this world, if you long for a life of unhindered, fleshly pursuits, you've chosen your master. You've chosen yourself. And that's, that's the real issue, right? That's the real issue, right? We, we, we want the stuff that the world offers. We want that. We want the party. We want this the sex. We want the success. We want those things. It's It's woven into our entertainment. It's woven into our value structures. It's part of our behaviors. And and I'm not talking about the world that that we as Christians live in. I'm talking about uh, a lot of people that, that wear this Christian label, but they're not the real deal. I'm talking about lifestyles that we as professing Christians have adopted. Christians in this era are not marked by holiness. We're marked by hypocrisy. Ask any lost person you know what is the identifying mark of Christians? Most people you'll talk to hypocrisy, right? Because we claim to believe one thing, but our lives tell a totally different story. They see us at the same club on Friday night that they're at. Well, why don't I need that church thing, right? But they see us. Living and walking in adultery. Why do they need the gospel? We're not marked by holiness. We're marked by hypocrisy. And, and and the truth is, a lot of people use that as an excuse for not coming to Christ. But the truth is, those people aren't Christians. That's that's the issue. If if you revel in sin, and there's not a distaste for sin within you, and you can live in sin with no no issues, right? If you can. There's old country song talking about living like hell on Saturday and then going to church on Sunday, like like that's not Christianity. That's 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 not what the Bible teaches, at least. Right? Because if the Holy Spirit dwells within you, it creates this distaste for sin, right? Because you recognize sin for what it is. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. The problem is sin. And for the Christian, we recognize that and we want nothing to do with it. And I'm telling you that it's because it's because there's a lot of, of people wearing a Christian label that aren't the real thing. There's a lot of people today who wear the Christian t shirt, but their hearts they're not marked by Christianity. First John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. Unbelievable truth. God loved you enough to open up a way for you to be called His child. And look, He says, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know Him. Dear friends, We're God's children now. And what we will be has not not yet been revealed. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You know that He was revealed so that He might take away sins and there is no sin in Him. Everyone who remains in Him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen Him or know Him. Not a whole lot of people that, I mean, maybe a good percentage of people in the room that were not here when we did our first John study uh, a year or two ago. And so it's important to note that John's not talking about the act of sinning. We know that because of what he says in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 8, he says, if we say we have no sin. We're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Those two have to reconcile together, right? And so the idea here is, is what he was talking about, lawlessness, right? There's a difference in I've sinned and lawlessness. Lawlessness is a heart of rebellion towards God. And that's what that's what John's talking about. He's saying, look, if that's your heart, if you have a heart of I know God's word says this, but I'm going to do this instead because it's what I want to do. It's how I want to live my life. And I'm going I'm to presume on the grace and mercy of God. If that's your heart, John says, you're not a Christian. God doesn't dwell within you. The Holy Spirit doesn't live inside of you. That's just the truth of the scriptures. Right? And, and we, we, in our day and age, that's a harsh truth, and we don't like to draw black and white lines, but that's, that's what John says clearly there, is that if you, if you can live in rebellion to the things of God, then how can God dwell within you? He says that you can't have that rebellious heart and call yourself a Christian. The, the Christian mourns the fact that sin is a part of their life. Their eyes have been opened to sin's reality and they hate it. This is what we're marked by. Yes, we, we, we have a flesh and we give into that flesh in times, and that makes us hypocrites. But for the Christian, we hate that. We mourn that. We're broken by it. And we long for a day when our bodies will be redeemed. It will no longer be given to the sin that has wreaked so much havoc, and so much destruction, so much pain, so much heartache in our world and in our own personal lives. Paul says this is the hope that we were saved. But hope is... It is seen, is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. This, this is a faith thing. We know that the problem is sin. We hate it, we mourn it, and yet we know it's only a temporary struggle. We know that the sufferings we face here and now because of sin aren't even worth comparing to the glory that we will one day face. The problem is sin, and as believers, our hope is in the future freed from sin. Right, so this, this idea of Advent is expecting that day. Right, Living your life. Recognizing that sin is your problem and mourning it and hating it, but living with an expectation that one day there will be redemption for your body and the flesh that you now war against on a daily basis will no longer be a problem for you. You'll be freed from it and made back into the image of Christ. I want to wrap this up this morning with the rest of that passage from Ephesians 2. In verse 4, he says, you're dead in your sins and and all those things. In verse 4 he says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love that He had for us made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace through His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It's God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. That's the Gospel. Right? Yeah, sin's the problem. Yes, you're dead in your sins. But Christ came and He made a way for you to be made alive again. Right? That's the gospel. That's why we're here today. We're not here today to be entertained by music and for you to listen to me talk for 30 minutes, 45 minutes. We're here today to celebrate the reality of this truth, this gospel. This is the gospel. This is why we have a hope. This is why we hope in a future freed from sin because we've been made alive with Christ. Sin isn't something we revel in because we've been awakened to the truth of sin's destruction and the immeasurable riches of His grace. So here's the takeaway this morning. If your eyes haven't been opened to see sin for what it is, you still have a rebellious heart towards God. If you find yourself saying, I know God's Word says this, but you still want to just do things your way, my prayer is that God is revealing Himself to you now and that you will surrender to him in faith Here in a moment the band's gonna come up here and they're going to sing another song the lights will dim in a little bit and there are going to be people standing on the sides all throughout the auditorium they would love an opportunity to talk about that with you if you you're like me i don't know if i've ever really given myself to this right there's no fruit of, of christianity in your life no fruit of salvation the holy spirit there's no fruit the Holy Spirit dwells within you. There's still this just complete apathy towards the things of God. Man, we would love to talk to you about that. We would love to have a conversation with you about it. When the band sings, that's an opportunity. It's a time for you to go and grab them by the hand and say, hey, I'd love to know what it means to truly give my life to Christ. If you're a Christian, the takeaway is this, live your life in light of this hope. You say, man, I've given my life to Christ. That's that's the challenge here, is is live your life in light of this hope. Yes, sin is the problem. But thank God there is coming a day when you'll be free from it altogether when this body will be redeemed. Live with a hope and an anticipation for that day. Set your gaze on eternity. And don't get distracted by the things of this world. There are more and more things that draw us and, and lure us away from a focus that we should have as believers, right? We get wrapped up in work and raising kids and all the things that keep us busy, right? Get wrapped up in those things. And the challenge here is take a minute and focus on what really matters. Right? Focus on on the hope that's within us. One day being freed from the problem of sin. As we enter into this Christmas season, I want to challenge you to set your heart and your mind on the hope that is in you. Take some time this Advent season to remember the problem and eagerly anticipate the coming of Christ. i uh i found an online advent devotional it's really cool in fact they produce one every year it's uh desiring god ministries and uh they have a digital version if you're a digital person uh they also have a print version if you're like no i'm not doing that uh i'm going to tomorrow i'm going to post the link on our facebook page and if you're interested in that jump into it right you you can uh you might be a day behind you have to read two days at at one time, but uh jump into that and and let that build that hope within you, right? Over the coming days as we enter into this Christmas season and you know, there was this anticipation for the coming Messiah. And in us there's this anticipate anticipation of the second coming of Christ. Right? That one day we're gonna be freed from all of this this bondage that sin has brought and the destruction that's brought. Would you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed? God, we, we are abundantly thankful for the grace and mercy that you've that you've showed us. And God, I pray that that we as a people here at the Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas, that we will that we would be a people who recognize sin for what it is. That we wouldn't be marked by our hypocrisy, but we would be marked by our holiness, and not a holiness that we've obtained in our own strength, but, but that Your Spirit working in us and sanctifying us and molding and shaping us into a people that bring glory to You. God, I pray that our focus would not be on the circumstances of life, but our focus would be on this hope that's in us. This expectation just burns within us. God, we we can look around and see the devastating effects of sin in this world. We can see how it's broken and marriages and families and destroyed churches and just brought death and destruction to people's lives we see it we've seen how it's brought death and destruction to our own lives God we mourn it thanks to your spirit within us we see it for what it is our eyes have been opened we hate it God we long for the day your son comes Brings redemption to these bodies. We're freed from the flesh, We're freed from the all the rot and decay that sin has brought to this world. When you come and make all things new, God, we live for that day. We pray that your Spirit would constantly remind us of this reality so that we can live with that focus. God, I pray that you would be glorified in this time of invitation. People would respond as your spirit is leading this morning. If anybody doesn't know you as their savior, that they would go to the sides and have a conversation. And for those of us who are Christians this morning, that we we would set our hearts and our minds to be focused on what really matters. In your name we pray. Thank you so much for listening, and we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.